You're tuning in to episode 253. Do you think we're getting more resilient over time or less? Maybe it has something to do with being hyper-distracted. Our focus is so split in so many ways that we can't conjure up enough might to fight on any one specific challenge. On this episode, I talk with someone that is basically the definition of resilience after spending 25 years as an endurance athlete and going on to fight the mainstream medical system to use non-conventional cancer treatment protocols in a cancer setting for her mum. It's an incredibly inspiring conversation and one that might help you to check in on your own resilience and integrity as well. After all, we're all here to level up, right? I know I am. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I hope you're having a superb day and you've already got plans to put delicious, healthy, flavor-filled food in your mouth. And it's something we don't talk much about in the world of dieting and disease. It's the conversation around flavor. Part of feeling satisfied is making sure your tongue is happy too, as well as all of the other stuff in your body, which is why in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And reading this mission statement out with today's guest here, I think is possibly going to set the tone for some interesting discussion. So I want you to meet Pushing the Limits podcast host and three times best-selling author, Lisa Tarmati, who's from not too far away over in New Zealand. Uh, Lisa is a retired endurance athlete that has put over 70,000 kilometers into her legs, which is about 45,000 miles. She's competed in some of the most crazy and wild long-distance races in the world from the Sahara Desert to Death Valley to the Himalayas. It's just the mind boggles. She's also a health renegade as she has a story of fighting against the mainstream medical system to get her mum more holistic and natural health care after a sudden aneurysm at the age of 74. And as well, she's produced a number of adventure film documentaries, hosted her own TV show, and she's obviously just a powerhouse. And so I want to get on with this conversation. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hey, Maddie, it's awesome to be here. It's been a long time in the making this this interview. <laughs> we got there. It has, it has. It's been a while since I was, I think I was on yours last year. Yeah, yeah. Like you did a fabulous interview on my show, Pushing the Limits, which was great. It's about time to have you back now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you. Because it was so long ago. It's taken us that long to coordinate, but hey, here we are. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking before we hit record, right? Like just the busy lives of solopreneurs and trying to figure it all out and line up diaries and can just be chaotic. Absolutely. And you were trying to help me uh, do systems at the beginning and then gave up because I was just like a mess. <laughs> I have improved since those days, Maddie. I've, I've actually got some of my shit together, some. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you're on the road. Well, I mean, if there's anyone that's got systems together, obviously you have some systems together because you have achieved some incredible stuff in your life. And so maybe we can just start by painting a picture of how Lisa, the endurance athlete, came to be. Yeah, great place to start. So, yeah, 25 years doing crazy sort of adventure races and expeditions all around the planet. A um, couple of thousand Ks in the Sahara, the Arabian, Libyan, Niger, Jordan, Gobi, uh, Death Valley, out know, back of Australia, right through New Zealand. Um, the funny thing is, Maddie, is I've had no talent whatsoever. <laughs> Asthmatic since I was a baby, uh, in and out of hospital as a little one. Uh, very small lung capacity, hopeless VO2 max, uh, broke my back when I was 21, was never meant to run again. Um, you know, so just just a lot of stuff to, to overcome yeah. to do what I did. But I'm just very bloody-minded, and I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, which was to have lots of adventures all around the world and push my own limits. For me, it wasn't about winning so much you know, uh, being genetically disabled, really. <laughs> uh, although I did end up uh, winning a few races and national titles and stuff in the end just because I had so much experience. But um, really just uh, um, wanting to, to really experience life and live it to the full and succeeded many times against all odds and then failed miserably in other times and had lots of sort of adventures along the way, some pretty negative ones that I, you know, don't really wish to repeat, <laughs> but mm -hmm. all of them uh, 
taught me something. And at the end of the day, that's what life's about, really, is just going hard, going, you know, you know, pushing the limits, finding out what you can and can't do and picking yourself up when you fall over and trying to learn and do it better the next time. Yeah, it's so incredible. Yeah, so that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's so incredible everything that you've achieved. And it's interesting too. And that's as I was sort of reading the intro, that's kind of why I said reading this mission statement is going to be interesting because you know, we're in such a funny chapter of human history where you know, pushing your limits or is kind of avoided. Like it's so easy to avoid your limits and avoid discomfort and and we're really in this, you know, the snowflake generation is what they, you know, often term it, right? Is that we have to so delicately walk around people's feelings and their, you know, situations yeah. because everybody's offended and totally you know, nobody there. wants to do hard work. And, and and I'm being general in my statements, obviously, but like how in the in a world where everything is so easy and privileged and amazing, were you able to be like, you know what, I'm gonna say no to the chocolate and the alcohol and the Netflix and all the things and I'm just gonna run. <laughs> well, I don't know that I actually did say no to the alcohol and the, the chocolate in the beginning. It was more of a, mm-hmm. to be honest, at the start, like I love my food and I'm going to run longer so that I can eat more. When I was young and I didn't understand the correlation between performance and what you put in your body, it was just like an excuse to eat more because <laughs> I burned <laughs> lots and lots of calories. So I definitely learned that one along the way that that doesn't really equal success and, and had to learn and adapt and change. And I'd still say, it's an ongoing project you know like to absolute perfection is definitely not there but I, I when it when it comes to training when it comes to um lifestyle all the lifestyle factors of discipline and things and in business as well yeah it just completely I think I think growing up in the 70s was a good thing because it was you know like as kids we were out all day you came home when it got dark and you sort of well, I grew up in a household where you you toughened up or you sink you know like I had a hard-ass dad who sort of didn't tolerate weakness you know was was quite quite a tough man and I think that was great actually you know like we had the soft cuddly mum but we had this dad who was a bit of a hard-ass and he was great because he would take us on lots of adventures and push us really hard and I think that really sort of set me up for being able to sort of push through boundaries because I, I had to I had to cope. I mean, there was definitely downsides of that as well, don't get me wrong, but being soft on kids and being sticking them in cotton wool, that's not the way forward. And being offended at every damn thing that you see or hear on television or, you know, what do they call it, cancel culture or whatever, it's just bullshit. Yeah. You know, like I just want people to just be like, if you don't like something, turn it off. Yeah. You know, you don't have to tell everybody else not to do it. You know, like, I mean, there's, you know, obviously in the extremes, but, you know, like it's getting ridiculous to ridiculous levels now. Physically, we need to, as humans, we evolved. We've got ancient DNA. We need to respect our circadian rhythms. We need to respect our need for movement, our need for exercise and good food and social interactions and all of these aspects. If we don't, that's when we end up with disease because we're not sort of paying attention to those very basic things like, you know, the light in the morning and not too much blue light at night and optimizing our sleep routines and, and, and just those little things that make one hell of a difference to our mental well-being. And, you know, like you see so many people um, struggling with depression and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And, I, and I've been there, you know, I've definitely been there. And a lot of it's, you know, a complicated picture of everything from toxins to bad food to bad relationships to, you know, what you you were brought up and all of that sort of jazz. But even if you've got all of that baggage behind you, if you can optimize the inputs that you're putting in, i.e. the right food, the right light, the right yeah. circadian rhythms, the right sleep, the right exercise, you're giving yourself a better chance of being able to cope with the stresses of life, I think. You know, I think that's a really important where as a health coach now, I like to start at the basics if I can. Rather than, you know, I love all the fancy biohacking stuff. My house yeah. is just full of biohacking. It's a wonderland, biohacking wonderland. <laughs> but um, at the beginning, if you're not doing the basics right, it's not going to work, you know? Yeah. And it's so interesting to me how the basics are almost considered woo-woo now. Like if you're in, you know, sort of, I think you and I, you know, we're obviously deep in this world of wellness and holistic health and biohacking. But when you sort of, 
in, you're in a situation where you find yourself sort of back in with the mainstream crew, you're reminded like how much of a hippie you are. Um, and and that, that happened to me recently because I actually went back this year to, to be playing football, Australian wow. rules football after many years, um, just because, yeah, I just, you know, needed a bit of that male competitiveness yep. um, sort of Ooh. and physicality in my life. And it was either that or boxing. And so, so far it's that the body's holding up. But that was kind of my reintroduction for the first time in a long time to yep. sort of just a mainstream group of guys that sort of don't know anything about nutrition, health and wellness, despite being at a sports club and, you know, overhearing like just how much of a hippie the stuff that I have to say or share or talk about is. And the, the president of the club as well was, you know, invited me to talk because he'd listened to the podcast and has been checking it out since I've been there. And so I was thinking, oh, what am I going to talk about to this group of guys without looking like just a, a a crazy hippie that's taken mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, mate. It's so true. Like, because because we, you know, interview you and I interview people like we're all a bit of an echo chamber, really, because we all believe quite similarly and have yeah. the same sort of opinions, and we think everyone else has the same opinions. And then you talk to your mate at the cafe shop, and you're just like, <laughs> actually, no, it's not the general <laughs> opinion. And in you know, doing these things like that are not woo-woo. This is the thing. We can back it up with science. We can get, you yeah. know, like you and I can go deep in the science and bloody hammer it out <laughs> with the with the proof and the pudding, you know. But it comes across as woo-woo when you're talking about breath work and meditation and sleep optimization and, you know, like they're just like, oh, that old shit again because they've heard it before for many, many years. And so sometimes I, I start a bit backwards, start with the fancy stuff that they want to know about and then work my way back. Once mm-hmm. they see some results, then we can go and, you know, maybe uh, work on some of the foundations. I'd like to do it the other way, but it doesn't always fly because you've got to meet the person where they're at, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, damn right. And everything we do or we try to do, like, you know, really science-backed as, as much as we possibly can. And then there's a lot of uh, intuition and a lot of testing things out as well, mm-hmm. certainly on myself and, you know, biohacker yeah. <laughs> sticking things in me all the time and trying things out. I haven't died yet. Um, and I'm just, I am surprised sometimes at the basics, you know, like the absolute basics are just not being taught anywhere except, you know, in, in the world that we're in. Yeah. Everybody knows everything, but when you're not in that world, yeah, and well, but well done for going back into that real macho world of <laughs> – rugby and you know just watch your brain please because <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing yes yes absolutely i've been concussed once it was a very long time ago but yeah. um but yeah i gotta look after my head <laughs> yeah we'll have a conversation about that afterwards what you can do to prevent if you're going into games actually stuff that you can take prior to the game so that you don't get concussions because there's a couple of things like plasmalogens. Oh, that sounds great. Maybe you should talk at the footy club and not me. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't listen to me. Um, but, yeah, like plasmalogens from Dr. Day and Goodnow, put that on your radar. Um, and even things like, you know, cysteine and things that can just prove if you get hit during the game, you've got that on board. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few other things. Fatty 15 is another carbon 15 molecule that, that, uh, of fat that really helps protect the brain if you're hit. So if you've got that on board when you get a concussion, you're much less likely to have a, a really bad outcome with a, with a concussion. So, yeah, we, we can talk about that later. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. That's so interesting. Um, there's a, Actually, there's a couple of guys down there that wear helmets and one that has, has had seven Ooh. concussions and he was the neurosurgeon said that he shouldn't play and then he was tested and basically decided that he was clear to to play again um but he has to wear a helmet and um yeah I had a discussion with him about that and he was talking about the fact that the conversation was about more his mental health being like he gets enjoyment from playing and that would encourage healing of the brain as well and so it was this delicate balance but oh he would benefit so much from that conversation send him to me would you because yeah, brain health is one of my favorite things and um yeah there's things that you can do if you want to continue to play like doing that and making sure that that's on board. And then, you know, things like hyperbaric, we're sitting in my hyperbaric oxygen uh, clinic at the moment, um, huge proponent of, of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and then combining that with other things, a high-fat diet, you know, keto diet, low-carb, uh, all of these things are very beneficial for brain health. Um, so there's a lot of things that if you're going to continue to play, then, you you know, you want to know those strategies because I'm getting a lot of players and boxers and things who are now 50 plus and heading down the road of dementia. And yeah. that's not where you want to be. 
in 20 years' time when you're used up, you're no longer able to play the game, but now your future's looking pretty bleak. And that, unfortunately, is very often the case with you have had repeated concussions especially. Yeah. So, yeah, come and talk to me if you've got a brain issue, you know, any of that neurodegeneration. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely point him in your direction. And and I definitely I want to circle back to the hyperbaric thing. I actually did some hyperbaric chamber stuff recently myself. But I'm curious awesome. in the timeline of your own fitness journey and and us having this conversation about you know uh, foundational health being considered woo woo. When you were a bit younger and you were really going hard on this stuff, was it really just about grit, or was the conversation about what to eat and what to how to sleep and and the stress in your life was that a thing then, or is that sort of come in later in that that journey? In the first, I want to say even first 18, 20 years of my career. So, you know, like I started sort of, what was I, 23, 24, when I started doing more extreme sports and then a little bit later ultra marathons. I had no idea. We just had no idea back then. We just went, um, take a teaspoon of concrete, harden up. If you're going to (laughs) run long, run long. That's what you did for training. You just got out every day and ran for miles. I had no idea of weight training. Mm-hmm. I have no idea of flexibility training. I had no idea of nutrition. I had no idea of electrolyte balance and, and subsequently got myself into trouble with electrolytes a few times and nearly died from just things like hyponatremia or rhabdomyolysis and things like that uh, it, because this was the dark ages. I mean, I'm 54 now. Like we're talking 25, 30 years ago, the knowledge was just way back um and so we just didn't have any of that and you know we used to do things like you know and I cringe now like drink all night and then get up at 4am and go and run for 12 hours yeah wow you know like absolutely mental when I think back on it you know like that's one way to handle a hangover (laughs) (laughs) that is not what you do you know like what was I thinking um you know, it was just just madness, but it was all about being a hard ass, right? Mm-hmm. You're a tough, and you you played hard, you worked hard. Now, older, wiser, educated, much more mm-hmm. educated, and the science has come a, a hell of a long way since then. And I've done a really, you know, last eight years deep in that. Just horrified at some of the stuff that I did to my body, and now I've got to undo some of that damage. And it's one of the reasons I don't do ultras anymore, um, partly because of I studied genetics and I did my own genetic assessments and came back that I should not be doing super long ultra endurance type of exercise. I should be doing shorter, sharper, high intensity, and then combining that with Pilates, yoga, yeah. you know, all of those calming things. So now I do that. How many years had you been running ultras before you found that out? <laughs> Uh, 25. I, I didn't really get into this until after my career. Unfortunately, yeah, I, so. I missed. I missed that opportunity to see what I possibly could have achieved. You know, and I, mm-hmm. and I retired when I was 48. So, but it's a real shame, you know. And it's really because I, I got into this position because of Mum's story and her journey that she was on after an aneurysm, and I just dived into the research, and I really haven't you know, come out of it. And now I've learned all the stuff that I did wrong back then and it, I can't I can't go back and redo it. But now I can help younger athletes, you know. Out of curiosity, when you say, because this is one of the things that was coming up in my mind as you were talking then, is that like, sure, we've got the genetic information, you've learned all this stuff, but you did it. You successfully <laughs> did it, right? So it's like, yeah. you know, where is the line between the science says ABC and but also I've got X, Y, Z result. Yeah, I think um, I could have had much, much better results. You know, like gotcha. if I was keto adapt, uh, you know, fat adapted athlete and I was able to, you know, I wasn't eating rubbish and I wasn't drinking alcohol. I mean, not that I drank much, but, you know, on occasion we'd lose brot and go hard. You know, and if I'd had periodization and if I'd had strength training in the mix, you know, I did in the last five years have a really good trainer who, who made me really strong and that's when I got my best results you know and we did change the diet up and we did so the last few years at least to some degree I had had some of that knowledge in there by then and that's when I had you know the national titles and the podium places and international races and things like that because it basically saved me from you know all the mistakes that I've been making for years so I think you know I wouldn't even know now but I, I think I would have done a hell of a lot better and I think also the performance now of the young athletes coming through, because they have this knowledge, they are performing at a much higher level than, than we were. Just like 
in the rugby world, you know, the rugby players of 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, amazing athletes, but they didn't have all the knowledge and they weren't professionals and they didn't do, they didn't go to the gym. They went out and worked eight hours a day and then trained, you know, so they didn't have the perfect environment for creating the absolute machines that we see now running around on the paddocks. And that, that sort of makes the game a little bit more dangerous too because you've got bigger, stronger, mm. really faster men all coming at each other at 100 miles an hour. So there's ups and downs of that sort of thing. But I think, yeah, I would have. what I did have was mental toughness and resilience and determination. And a lot of that came from, I think, actual mental issues like trying to prove that I was tough and cool and good and, you know, lacking self-esteem and not being very confident as a young lady and wanting to, you know, fit in and, and all of those sorts of things that I think because I'd grown up with a dad that I wanted to please and who was hard-ass and awesome dad but really tough sort of set me up to then date a boyfriend who was exactly the same but a whole mm-hmm. lot worse. And that was a very abusive relationship for a number of years in my early 20s that really shaped me in a lot of negative ways, but in the long term, really some positive ways because I survived it and came out the other end from, you know, domestic violence and all of that sort of stuff, which took me a long time to get over. But when I did, I was really a lot stronger, a lot more confident. I knew who I was and what I was capable of. And I came from really the bottom to, you know, not taking that shit anymore, you know, but it took until I was well, well into my 30s before I sort of crawled out of that space, you know. Um, You'd have to read my first book for that full story, but (laughs) it's pretty harrowing. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that here with us. Like, yeah, that's some vulnerable, real stuff. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, yeah, that boyfriend left me in the middle of the Libyan desert after five years of relationship and uh, in the middle of an expedition, really extreme illegal crossing of the Libyan desert. And we had 35 kilo backpacks and only two liters of water a day. And we, he decides to, you know, call it quits on day four <laughs> oh my God. in the middle of the desert and left me. I mean, that was, that was good times. Um, that was actually the, the lowest point, one of the lowest points of my life up until that point, at least. Fair enough. Um, and a turning point. This relationship's really not healthy for me, and this is not normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I slowly, slowly crawled myself out of the morass. And really, sport is what pulled me out of the the ditch, if you like, out of the the darkness that I was in, the depression, mm-hmm. suicide attempts, all of the stuff that I went through back then. And this is long, long time ago now, but that took a few years and, and I got into ultramarathon running after that, like the official yep. racing stuff. I'd been with him for five years and traveled the world and we'd done lots of extreme things, but I hadn't done actually racing at that time. Mm-hmm. When our relationship actually broke up and I was suddenly without a partner to do stuff with and I discovered these races. That Actually reading an article one day about one called the Marathon de Sables, which is a 240k race across the Moroccan Sahara. And back then it was touted as the toughest race on earth. Wow. And I was comparing it to some of the stuff that I'd done with with the boyfriend. And I was like, yeah, I reckon I can do that. <laughs> it can't be, it's a hell of a lot easier on paper than what I'd done. So um, I signed up. I'd never run a marathon. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And green is everything, anything and just did it and loved it and was surrounded by positive people. Right. And that was the biggest key factor for me was that I was surrounded by all these people going through something tough and hard together, helping each other, pushing each other. And that environment was just gold for me because I was just so needing that confidence and that encouragement. And then so I just got addicted to it because I did really well yeah. and um, ended up just doing race after race after race. And the rest is sort of history, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. 
I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. That's incredible. And it's just so great. Like It shows the, the power of community and camaraderie in being able to support one another to achieve a goal. It's, I think it's the, the sort of the immeasurable part of success is being surrounded by right people and the right, with the right mindsets. Absolutely. Pick your tribe and pick your partner really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned to, um, you know, you pick the wrong partner in life and you could be in for a hell of a long battle. Um, uh, and by the same token, if you get a tribe of people around you that are really positive, go forward, growth mindset, open to new things, always learning and always encouraging each other, man, you can achieve incredible things. And that's what you and I try to do with our podcasts and our yeah. communities that we that we run and hold and look after is that we're trying to support each other. You know, it's just, it's not about, oh, you know, we're the preachers from on high who know everything. God <laughs> forbid. We don't. <laughs> it's a, we're human hey, too. We've got, yeah, we've got some experiences here. We've fallen over a number of times. We've learned a, a fair amount of stuff. Maybe you want to come and learn with us. And it's that two-way street, you know, that, yeah. that, um, that I get a buzz out of. And um, and I think it really helps things. And when, when, you know, coaching lots of young athletes along the years, when I believe in them, they believe in themselves suddenly because I am apparently know what I'm doing, you know. I'm the guru <laughs> in their eyes at least. Um, and when I say they can do it, all of a sudden they can because you've just taken that, I can't possibly do that thing yeah. away. And then I go, yes, you can, and I know how to get you there, so just trust in me and I'll take you there. You've just got to put in the hard work and they're off to the races. And I've seen incredible things, absolutely incredible things. And the same in our health journeys when I'm taking and helping people in some really dire straits now. So I work with cancer patients and stroke people and people with dementia and head injuries and, you know, all sorts of bloody horrible things that come my way, unfortunately. Um, it, it is about, number one, getting their mind in the right place to hope and to fight and to not give up and to have an open mind and to not just take what your local doctor says to you as the absolute gospel and not look outside the square because nothing against your local doctor, but no one person is across the entire world of research now. None of us yeah. are. And so there may be an answer out there that you just haven't discovered yet for your particular set of problems. Yeah. And it's up to you to go and find that answer or to find someone who can help you find that answer and then to to try different things and to not give up. You know, and I've been on this journey with my mum, as I said at the beginning, I've written a book actually called Relentless. This is the story of my mum had a massive aneurysm, so seven and a half years ago, was left with massive brain damage, age 74. We were told she'd never do anything again. And um, this is what sent me down this whole biohacking researching world that I dove into and me just absolutely flatly refusing to accept that and fighting against the system and then I had to fight you know like there were there were medical balls ups there were all sorts of stuff that all in the book that's explained and I came across the hyperbaric oxygen therapy then early on in the piece thank goodness and this was what the cornerstone it's not the only thing I had a very multi-pronged approach to her rehabilitation everything from, you know, really extensive physical training to the keto diet, through to supplementation, through to peptides, through to hyperbaric and, you know, intravenous vitamin C and all sorts of things that I put into the mix. Yeah. It took it two and a half years from being like a baby, unable to speak, no idea who she was, no, no memory, no control over any bodily functions to having a full driver's license, walking three or four wow. days a day and going to the gym five days a week. It's incredible. With the girlfriends, you know. Yeah, it's an American story. With with full memory? Yeah, yeah, full 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 back. Like to get your driver's license, you have to have full intellectual capacity. She even got her yep. eyesight back because she lost all the peripheral vision and even that came back, you know. Um, so to get a driver's license really shows that you're a competent 
person. She got yeah. her, you know, power of attorney back, so her legal right to look after it herself again. And that was round one, and unfortunately, then twenty or nineteen months ago, she was hit with brain tumors, um, uh, CNS lymphoma. So. She, I thought, I thought she was having another stroke, rushed her to the hospital. They ignored me, sent me home. I took her back in two days later. They ignored me, sent me home. And then I fought for three whole weeks. Even though I'd written a book about the first round of balls ups in the medical system, they still did this to me. <laughs> and then after three weeks, I fought and I said, I want an MRI. There is neurological damage going on. I don't know what's going on. I want an MRI. Eventually, yeah. I won the right to get an MRI. Came back, all these tumours were in her brain. Then they were like, oh, yeah, tumors, you know, um, better uh, send you to the brain surgeon. This amazing brain surgeon chopped the main tumor out that was in there, the big, bigger one. They did a pathology thing on it and um, histology on it, and it came back um, a very aggressive CNS lymphoma, and then we were told there's nothing we can do and you, you prepare to die pretty quickly. There is nothing that is out there and they could not be further from the truth. So I went home and I studied the metabolic approach to cancer. I interviewed 18 different doctors from around the world. I put 15 doctors on her team, everything from integrated oncologists through to nutritionists through to uh, microbiome experts, et cetera, et cetera. Took us 12 weeks to get rid of the tumours and we've been free of them ever since. And I've written a book now called What Your Oncologist Isn't Telling You. And it's the whole metabolic. We're actually in a movie called The Cancer Evolution. This is a yep. movie that's coming out in September by uh, Maggie Bradley and uh, her husband. Maggie had terminal cancer, uh, tumors right throughout her body. Like, well, I don't know, it was something like 80 tumors or something. And she was, had weeks to live. And then she discovered the metabolic approach to cancer. And she did a lot of fasting and she just, she learned and she studied and she's now producing this film free of cancer and doing fabulous and now sharing that that knowledge with the world through this amazing movie that's coming out and mum and I were lucky to be um, interviewed uh, for the movie so that's coming out in, in uh, yeah September is the prem- the world premiere of that um, so you know if anyone who's out there is listening who's got cancer look up the metabolic approach to cancer or reach out to me because I can point you in the right direction, help you to understand that there is two two schools of thought. The one is the somatic theory of cancer where it's all like genetic and, you know, genetically driven. And the other is really that it's metabolically driven and that you can do a lot of things, things like, um, you know, the keto diet, low-calorie, low, low low-carb diet, sorry, um, you can there's a there's a book called How to Starve Cancer or Cancer by um, Jane McClellan. There's a ton mm-hmm. of work out there. There's a course that you can do. There's all sorts of stuff that you need to know about. In other words, anyway, to cut a long story short, Mum's now you know she's about ninety percent back. She lost a little bit of function uh, when you know they chopped the, the tumors out and stuff, but she's independent to the point where she can you know be off in the house and around and go for little walks and stuff and she goes out with her girlfriends and things again um she can't drive a car at the moment they won't let her um she wants to we'll get back there (laughs) but um yeah and 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 we've got to stay one step ahead of it with cancer you never want to sort of rest on your laurels and go back to the old ways you you want to be always in that preventative mindset because um it, it you know, all of us are producing cancer cells every day. It's just that we have good enough immune systems to be dealing with them. And when things like toxins and inflammation and viruses and, you know, any manner of things that can cause damage to the mitochondria start to get the upper hand is when the, the cancer can get a, get, a, get a foothold. So you always want to be in that preventative space, even if you haven't got cancer now, you know, just always thinking, how can I lessen my chances of getting it? Um, so yeah. try to help people with that as well. Oh, it's so incredible. And I, I love that that story and any any platform that I can give to anyone that cured cancer in a different way, um, I will do as much as I can because, you know, I've, as you already know, I worked in a cancer hospital myself and that's where I discovered the out-of-the-box thinking, but not from inside the building. It was my just no. curiosity that drove me to look at other stuff and then coming across Nasha Winters and you know her work and um, Thomas Seafried and and the the film series The Truth About Cancer is a really good place for people to start and like it's 
yeah, it's just incredible. And it's and I'm I'm like you. It's not that Western medicine or conventional treatment doesn't have its place. No, it's just that it we're just told it's the only tool in the toolbox, which is absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. And they don't play well, play well with others in the sandbox, unfortunately, generally yeah. speaking. So you have to understand that, take what you need from their information, but then go and look elsewhere as well. Bring all that information and then make the decision what's right for you. You know, traditional stuff has its place. Absolutely, it does. Um, but it's not the only stuff that you need to be thinking about. And then when you've yeah. gotten rid of the cancer, you want to keep on your toes because most people's cancer comes back, you know. So you've got to really stay one step ahead of it. And that's the tricky thing for me and mum at the moment is that I'm trying to tweak and adapt to protocols all the time so I keep the cancer guessing, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not like you ever, like, go, well, now we can relax and we're fine again. You, if you do that, that's when you're liable to get back into the wrong foods and do the wrong things. and Just basics too, going back to basics again. If you can detoxify yeah. your environment, if you can do more exercise, if you can do muscle building exercises, resistance work, you're taking away food from the tumors for starters. And that's really hard to tell someone who feels like shit and sick. Um, and yeah. fasting is also a really powerful tool uh, in the right place in the right time under the right guidance, I have to qualify. Um, but, you know, and, and things like hyperbaric and intravenous vitamin C, and then now there are some peptides that are really exciting stuff. So don't give up. Like there's a there's a there's a, a ton of things out there. Unfortunately, a lot of them do cost a lot. Um, mm. You know, we've spent a small fortune this this year trying to get to the basics of, of things, and that's one of the reasons. Like I wrote the book, or it's actually an interview series with all the people like Nasha Winters and Jane McClellan and Co. Um, because I wanted to give it a low-cost way for people to get that information all in one place, all curated, so that they've got that there and then they can go to town if they can't work with me one-on-one, -on -one, which you know is yeah. more intensive and more, and I can only work with a very few people at that sort of a level. So, um, yeah, it's just getting people access to that information and getting it out there is super important. Yeah, I'm, I want to dig into the hyperbaric oxygen stuff because we were talking about it before we hit record that you've put a clinic on the side of your house and you were yeah. showing me the pod and stuff. And so, um, like, where did that come in the, into the journey and where was your sort of realizations that this tool would be incredibly useful in your mum's journey? Yeah, so hyperbaric oxygen therapy has got over 100 years of research. It's, it's been used forever. Um, it's... Um, comes actually from the dive industry when the divers got the beans that they would put them in the in these hyperbaric chambers and bring them up slowly and because if they came up too quickly uh the the, the gas and the and the blood would expand too quickly and cause damage what they found is that if they put people on oxygen and took them down or the equivalent of being underwater you're not actually underwater you're under more pressure so our one goes to 1.5 atmospheres some of the medical ones in the hospitals go to two and above atmospheres mm -hmm. Um, and what this does is it hyper-oxygenates the body, so you're getting up to 10 to 12 times more oxygen uptake in the body than you would here at sea level. So at sea level, we're all saturated. If I put an SpO2 monitor on your finger, it would be at 97 98%. You can't really get a heck of a lot more in. When you're in, in a hyperbaric environment, the oxygen molecules are compressed in size. When they compress, they dissolve into the plasma of the blood and they're no longer dependent on just being on the red blood cells. That means as these compressed molecules can get through places where there's a lot of inflammation, whether you've got hypoxic tissue, say you've got a, a ripped ligaments in your knee, for example, and you've got a lot of swelling around the knee, the blood flow and the oxygen isn't really getting there because it's really struggling to get it through those tiny capillaries that are now damaged, right? If you get in the hyperbaric, then the oxygen can suddenly get through there. It can also get through the blood-brain barrier to damage tissue in the brain. And this is why it's so powerful for neurodegeneration or concussions, TBIs, all of that sort of thing, because it gets the blood, uh, sorry, the, the oxygen through to that damaged ischemic penumbra. So you, you typically you might have some dead tissue from a stroke or an aneurysm or, or whatever, and you can't rescue that. That stuff's gone. But around that is what they call the ischemic penumbra. And if you can get oxygen to that, is where it's alive, but it's just not firing properly. And if you can get enough 
oxygen to that and then you combine it with a good diet like good fats especially like the plasmalogens mm-hmm. that I mentioned earlier fatty 15s you know fish oils all of those sorts of good fats that can help repair the membranes get them firing again and your brain can reroute itself so even though you have dead tissue the, the brain can go and rewire itself and you can get your function back and you can prevent the degeneration over time um, so that you know and, it, and it's used and we use it in cancer we're not allowed to say it's a cure for cancer or anything like that it's an adjunct therapy cancer does not like oxygen it's an anaerobic mm-hmm. metabolism um, Otto Warburg was the scientist who first discovered this back in the 1920s um, called it the Warburg effect where the, the the cancer cells basically use fermentation rather than an aerobic glycolysis um, process for, for getting the energy and they open up a whole lot of doors on their the cell to let the glucose in. That's why they can do PET scans and see where the cancer is because these are the cells that just suck up all the glu- uh, gl- uh, glucose, basically. And, and so there they can see, oh, oh, there's a cancer cell or there's a bunch of cancer cells there because it's sucking like no tomorrow. Now, if you surround that in, in, in oxygen, that's like, you know, machine gunning down those, those cancer cells because they don't like oxygen. And then if you combine that with intravenous vitamin C, then that can be a really good combination. On, and again, with a keto diet, um, and there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. I'm oversimplifying it for the, for the purposes of, of the podcast, but go and have a look at the research in that area. Um, it's it's pretty powerful. Dr. Dom Diagostino, who was on the podcast, has done a lot of research and looking at hyperbaric and looking at the cells under hyperbaric conditions in combination with ketones um, and just watching them explode, you know, basically down right. the, the microscope. So pretty bloody exciting stuff. Yeah. And certainly worth, you know, putting into the mix of what you're doing. Um you know, surgery, uh, you know, traumatic sort of uh, crush injuries, burns, diabetic wounds, ulcers, uh, anything that's hypoxic, you know, neuropathic sort of pain, all of that sort of stuff can be stuff can be um, beneficial for um, hyperbaric heart issues. You know, there's a, there's a few contraindications, um, things like if you've got COPD or certain heart things or if you're on chemo, you don't want to do it while you're on chemo because chemo will become stronger when you're in there. Um, yep. So there's a few, you know, things that you have to watch out for, but it's generally pretty safe and very, very powerful. It releases more stem cells and attacks the inflammation pathways in the, in the body. So anything that re- releases more stem cells into the bloodstream is is going to mean that those tissues can rejuvenate because stem cells can become anything that the body needs. So those stem cells yeah. will be released out of the bone marrow more. They will go to the place that needs the healing. And, um, yeah, Bob's your uncle, so to speak. So Bob's your uncle. Yes, and I wonder that. That's powerful. I was going to say, too, just for the listeners, um, if you want to do any a deeper dive on the um, Otto Warburg effect, which is an actual hallmark of cancer, even in conventional cancer treatment. It's something that um, cancer doctors know is a hallmark of cancer, but it's just not given any attention. But there's a mm. fantastic book that I have on the shelf behind me, actually, called Ravenous by Sam Apple um, that talks in oh, wow, depth about the history one. of the research behind that and how, what was done in World War II to experiment on that and, and a few other things. But it's a really, really interesting book called Ravenous. Okay, I have to look that one up. That's that's missed on my radar. <laughs> it's juicy. It's juicy. There's all sorts of stuff in there. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it's very political, you know. It's, unfortunately, oh. cancer is very political and very much, uh, you know, there's a lot of money and there's a lot of ton of research going in one direction, which makes it difficult to push the ship in the other direction, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just getting the word out there to to go and research this other side of the fence, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, our, our, both of our podcasts do that. They invite people to look at things differently and, and slowly, you know, one person at a time, they slowly open up to a different perspective. And I think as well, one of the positives of the internet and social media is that it has given these doctors and, and nutritionists and all of these different people that are previously in a conventional system, the opportunity to display to the world their expertise in conjunction with some of this other stuff, because I think it really gives it that mainstream credibility that's required for mass adoption of doing things differently and the reality is that 
pharmaceutical companies, but any business goes towards where the money is. And if yep. we can if we can guide people to spend their money in a different way that might produce also a better outcome for them, the market will listen. The market will listen. Eventually, yeah. But we don't the thing is when you've got cancer, you haven't got the, the luxury of waiting for that to catch up, right? And yeah. Or, you know, so many doctors that I've talked to and, and what I've seen personally is that our local clinics, at least here too, um, are 30 years behind the research, oh, yeah. 30 years, 20 to 30 years behind. And so uh, there's a, there was a, a podcast I was listening to the other day and they were saying something like, if a doctor who's really proactive and studies two hours a day to keep up on the journals of the latest research, they'd still be 32 years behind the eight ball because none of yeah. us can keep ahead of what's coming out now. And then you add an AI yeah. and that what well, that's coming to us now. It's just like the, the rate of research is going to just speed up and speed up where with computer modeling and the, the, the ability, and I don't understand the whole science, you'd understand it better, that they can test thousands of compounds at once, whereas yeah. it used to be one after the other. So we're going to get huge amounts of information very, very soon. Um, and it's up to us to be there waiting for it and and at the cutting edge. And if you're dying, you have to test. You have to be the guinea pig almost. Like if you've got running out of options, yeah. then you better know what the latest stuff is because there might be something in there that can help you. Yeah. You know? Well, even in even in the last few years of when I was working in the hospital, like some of the high throughput uh, instruments that were worth, you know, between 500000 and a million dollars, each for each instrument, you know, they could tag a hundred thousand proteins, you know, in one run, which would take, two, you know, two hours that the data would be able to pick up all of those because they're fluorescently and radioactively tagged each protein. And then the, the sensor is able to individually read all of those and then goes through this biostatistician software, which divides all the data. It just, even then, yeah, like that was before chat GPT and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, even then it was like the amount of data that comes out of this you know, we almost need another piece of software to do the crunch crunching of the numbers because human brains don't work fast enough to make utility of that much information. Yeah, 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 and that's what the, the world is actually drowning in data now. Not not a lack of data. Yeah. It's it's how do we process it, and that's what the you know the super brains are working on, and they're doing very well at it. And we're starting to get breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough, and then you've got the whole you know drug discovery, FDA, all of that sort of lumbering giant. Yeah. Corruption filled processes that are, there, <laughs> that are out there. And and then just, you know, the, the lumbering size of these institutions mean that it's like yeah. a, sh- a cruise ship. You're trying to move a, move a cruise ship. It just takes mm-hmm. so long, you know. And, you know, the standard thing on every research paper that you read is further suit research is required. Well, when is it enough? You know, like yeah. when is it enough? For something like hyperbaric, it's got a ton of research. And yet, at every end of every bloody article was further research is required, and it's a because there's no money in it. It's hard to get the research done, and so when do we yep. say enough is enough and it's working? You know. Oh, t- totally. Well, it's a, it's the same challenge with the food as medicine, nutrition angle of disease care, which is very limited if you've ever been in or worked in a hospital. Um, I used to annoy the hell out of the dietitians on the ward because I would be like, "What are you?" What are you feeding these people? Yeah, and like, it, it, unfor- you can't patent you can't patent natural molecules, at least with the current laws. No. And so it's not not worth you know a dime, unfortunately, to do that kind of research. No, so put insure and that sort of crap in their bodies. And oh, it's just like really so bad. Yeah. yeah, brain injured people, strokes and aneurysms, and you're putting a glucose corn syrup based product in their brains. Yeah. Sugar when- and vegetable oil cocktail yeah. of death, basically. Yeah. Like how are you meant to get well in there? I mean, let, let alone the whole things like like light and being interrupted constantly and the noise and the thing. You know like how you put a healthy person in the hospital and they'll be sick in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Let alone a sick person in the hospital and how the hell you know? They, they, and they're just ignoring some of the basic good things like let's exchange some of these fluorescent light bulbs or turn off the lights and the LEDs and the you know give people the chance to actually rest. You know, and there are yeah. times when you've got to test and you've got to come in and check and all of that. But, you know, there should be some discussions on how do we make this more circadian rhythm balance within the hospital. I totally and agree. The nutrition is, you know, it's made for slop, basically. It's made for mass 
mass yes. um, things. In, in, you know, I, I never let my mum eat a single meal in hospital. I may eat it mm-hmm. all and brought it in. Yeah, you know? that's a very good move. Because, you know, and, and then, you know, behind your back, things would still be brought to her that were, to- like, you know, said gluten-free, dairy-free, keto, whatever on the list, and they'd still bring a toast and yeah. cereal for <laughs> breakfast, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gluten intolerant, you know, brilliant. Lisa, you are an incredible human, and I know that we've got to both bounce in a very short little while. So where can everybody find you online and get more of your stuff? Oh, thanks, Maddie. Yeah, I'd love everybody to check out the podcast. Maddie was on there and he's coming back again. Pushing the Limits, it's called. Um, so find that. Um, also, my website is lisatamati.com. That's T-A-M-A-T-I for Tamati, lisatamati.com. And on you know all social medias, I have a really good YouTube channel um, going now. We've got over 560 videos and we're adding to it every week, producing content on there. We're also on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all of those sort of good places. Um, love people to reach out. If any of the topics that I've talked about today sort of land with you and you just want to reach out, support at lisatamati.com or reach me and my team. Um, and, yep. you know, if we can help you in some way, we'd love to. That would be fantastic. So thanks for that, Maddie. No worries. I'll put all the links in the show notes below. So scroll down, grab those. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it, tag your friends and family and anybody that needs to hear it. Um, And before we wrap up, Lisa, what is one piece of health information of all of the knowledge that you've got that you wish more people were aware of? Um, Before we do that, Maddie, I just want to say, everybody, this guy is amazing and you have to share his stuff and you have to listen to what what Maddie does and make sure that you send your love to Maddie, you know, send it out there because doing podcasts and doing all of this stuff is a hell of a labor of love. So guys, make sure you pay it back by, you know, reaching out to Maddie, working with Maddie if you can and, and yeah, giving him at least a rating and review. Okay. I appreciate (laughs) Um, that. Thank you. (laughs) One piece of advice, she's that's hard. Um, You know, I think, um, going for sleep optimization has got to be the number one thing. It's the biggest leverage point that we have. You know, if uh, you know, if 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 you if I gave you the right diet and the right exercise, but you're not sleeping, it's all a waste of time. You've got to get yeah. your rest right, your recovery right. That's protective for your brain. It's it's healing for your body. So, how do you do that? Well, you have your sleep routines. You 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 pay attention to your circadian rhythms. You sort of acknowledge your ancient DNA. So go go look at all the stuff on sleep optimization and making sure that you're getting the best you possibly can. Um, yeah, I think that would be number one. And if I can just say, mention another thing, hormones. Yeah. Hormones are another huge player. You know, like <laughs> if I've got someone their hormones are up the, the wopsies, then the diet and the exercise and everything else isn't going to work. You've yeah. got to fix the hormones first, you know. So yeah. hormones and sleep, that'd be my two favorite things. Yeah, good suggestions, good suggestions. Well, thanks so much for jumping on the show and, uh, yeah, we'll definitely get you back and we'll catch up again soon. Love it. Thanks, Betty. See you, Lisa. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.